I'll confess that I'm struggling a little bit to do what needs to be done today, not because I'm afraid of doing it, but because I'm so much more comfortable just picking a scripture and saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to stay in this book and, and study through it. But today, we're going to catch everyone up on what we're calling a Commitment Sunday. If you've been here or if you heard or if you're an owner, you've gotten the emails. We, as a church, have been pursuing a facility, a long-term facility for us as a church. And so we are going to talk about that a little bit today. We've never really raised money as a church. We've, we've done a few things here or there. We've, in the course of seven years, the first time I said, before we ever raise money for ourselves, when we started this church, I said, I want to raise it for someone else. And when we had about 100 people here, we got in, connected with a, a mission in the Philippines to buy a house for sex-trafficked girls. And so it was, the house was $76,000, and as 100 people, we were like, let's take it on. And the 100 people, honestly, it was amazing. $36,000 was raised from our community for that really, really large project. And then other people got on board, and we ended up getting that, which was awesome. So I've seen generosity and faithful obedience as a community. The second project we did was actually these garage doors right here. They weren't here. This was a school with two different rooms. We started as a church facing that wall and then realized the brick wall was cooler, so we switched around and went this way. And then went two, year, two services, and it was packed in. And, and so we went to the school and said, hey, can we, can we put the money together to, to open this space up, put garage doors in, keep it two classrooms for you, and then give us a, a longer lease at that time? And so they said yes. That was a $12,000 project. And during that, we decided, hey, let's not just spend that money on us. Let's, let's see if we can raise money to do a project in the Philippines as well around the same time. And the Fishers of Christ Church had a, a terrace on the top of the roof. And as Americans started coming more and more to the slum, they started getting more attention from other, some robbers and stuff. And so they said, hey, we need to really close this space in and do these things. And so I think that was around $8,000 at the same time. And for both of those things, for all of those things that we've raised money, it was, hey guys, this is what we're doing. We're gonna try and do it over the next month or so. So if you could get that money, that'd be great. And every time it's happened. The faithfulness of God, the obedience of you have done that. And we've just, that's how we've raised money. Well, as we step out in faith as a leadership, following what we believe is the Lord's leading, a building downtown, which was seeming impossible for us, a building that was in contract for $250,000 below appraised value because of a church taking it, a wonderful family that's decided to buy the building for $950,000 so that we can have a long-term lease so we're not even having to come up with the $950,000 to do it. We've seen God move step after step after step in this process, and so we just have committed to say we're going to keep pursuing this as a leadership, but we don't want to do this now as just the leadership. We want to do this as a community of people. And so I want to show you a couple numbers just so you guys can think about it because we've saying it. Numbers and details. So here's a slide with the numbers. We've gotten some pretty good numbers back from our builder. They're estimating our tenant improvements to be three hundred to $350,000. That is to make the space function so that we can occupy it as a church. The $80,000 is what we're putting in place for two and a half years of rent reserve. We want to have that money on hand so that we are able to take on a little bit larger lease, even though our lease payment is astronomically low for what we're getting. We're actually getting better than warehouse rating for a downtown property because of these wonderful investors. So that is a very, very good thing. But we want to have that on hand. So our total cost is 380 to 430. Um, there is a chance that we can save money on that 300 to 350 through donated time or subcontractors. Or if you, any of you have work, we'll get to that probably in October. But those are the numbers we need to do. And then in this, we'll have a 10-year lease at a very, 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 very reasonable rate that allows us to continue to do what we're doing downtown. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you guys to write down your commitment, but that's near the end of it. First, I want to talk about what we're not doing. I just want to be clear about that. We're not doing this because we're tired of setting up and tearing down. 
okay? I want to be really clear. Like, it is work to set up and tear down. And some of you people that have been doing it faithfully for seven years, you're like, we're not? Because I'm all in on that board. Like, that's fine. But that's not why we're doing it, okay? We're not doing it because we're like, man, we really want to be a 4,000-person church. There's nothing wrong with a 4,000-person church. But the auditorium that we're making is only going to be about 300 seats, and that's on purpose. Because what we want to do is we want to keep ourselves small, community that can do this, so that we can send 150 people to plant another church very soon after this. And that's been the vision of Rev all along. I'm not opposed. There's nothing bad about large churches, but we believe for us to be able to do what we think God has commanded and led us to do, that we need to be more about doing what we can here and then sending 150 people from here. That'll, trust me, like I say that now, that'll be really painful and hard because it's never the people you want to go, right? Like that's just how it works. But that's something that we are committed to doing because we believe in the kingdom and loving God and loving others and reaching those that are not his yet. I don't ever want us to confuse this building as the goal. It can't happen. It can't happen. We cannot make getting in this building the goal. If the building is the goal, then we're really, really missed the point. The building is just a means to the end. In fact, the building is just a temporary tent like Abraham, right? This is a tent we're going to dwell in until the Lord comes back. The building cannot be the goal. The goal is what we believe God can do in and through us with this building. We believe that this building will achieve the vision, but we cannot lose our identity. We're going to have to work harder to decentralize as a church. We're not going to change that. We will still close down services. We will still push for you to be involved in gospel communities. We will continue to push out because, again, just like here, this church is not this building. In fact, I don't ever want to call the new building on 27th and Main the church. I want it to be the building because the church is us believers. It was never a building. The church is us people. It was never meant to be a building. And so I don't ever want to lose sight of that. I don't want us to ever get in a spot where we believe that all ministry has to flow through this church. That being said, we believe that there's a way for us to be a huge blessing to this community with this facility. There are so many things, so many nonprofits, so many other churches that we partner with, so many wonderful partnerships that we can't take advantage of giving them space because we just don't have a space that we can utilize. And so we're excited about that as an opportunity as well. But we don't want to centralize that. That doesn't negate gospel communities from being out on mission. That doesn't, that doesn't keep you from going, oh, good, I don't have to do anything. This doesn't give you a license to bring your friends to church. You still got to go and make disciples. It does not bring them to the professional's idea. If you're here at this church and this is your church, it's because you believe in this church, not because you believe in Revolution 22. I want to be really clear about that. You believe in the mission of God here and the people of God here. It's not about Revolution 22's name. It never has been and it never will be. If it becomes about our name, I'm hanging up my hat and I'm going to do something else. This isn't about us. This is about Christ and his name and his glory. This is why we're doing this. We cannot commit ourselves to something in faith if it's about something else. And so if you're here, you're like, man, I'm here because I love the worship. Well, praise God that you're here for that, but that can't be what sticks you here. That's just a benefit you're here because you're like, man, I love the sermons except for today because you're not doing what you normally do, right? That, that's fine. That's not going to stick, though. That's just a benefit. That can't be the reason why you're here. That can't be the reason why we continue to move forward. That can't be the reason to gather. Because if it is, then we've lost sight. And since the very beginning, we've always said that our goal, our desire as a church is to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors ourselves. It is as basic of a vision as you can get. Love God, love others. If we lose sight of that in this project, if we lose sight of that in this faith journey, then I, I want nothing to do with it. I want nothing to do with it. That being said, it would be foolish for us as stewards of God's resources to not ask you guys to step out in faith and commit something. 
as a church, I don't get to go, okay, well, we're going to run a promo and advertise and sell some more products to make some more money so we can up our budget so that we can afford this. We don't do that. We, our budget, our dollars are based on your faithful obedience to God. That's it. So when we ask you to commit, we're not, we're not trying to ask you to do something that God isn't leading you to. We're just trying to get some kind of number so that we can move forward confidently with, with what God's allowing us to steward. I don't want to move forward if we come out of this and realize, like, well, we got nothing. We're not going to just press forward. It's not building at all costs. It's loving God at all costs. And so we're not going to, we're not going to lose sight of that. We also have these actual numbers and what we're doing. They will shift, again, because building stuff does. But we will have opportunities for you to give in ways that require talents and skills. We're going to have lots of opportunities. That's coming. But right now, we're asking you to give in treasure. And that's something that I believe that the Scriptures command of us to do so. And so we're going to boldly ask that in faith, not because we're, we're afraid of you not liking us, but because we believe in the Spirit of God that lives in each side of the believers in this room to be faithful to the obedience of what God is commanding of them. And that's what we're doing in this. But let me, let me just make this really clear. Why are we doing this? Why would we commit these kind of money? We could just give this money somewhere else. You're right. There's so many other ways, so many other good things we can give this money to. We're doing this because we continue to see God moving in this forward for us. It makes sense not to do it. This building is going away. We have to move somewhere anyways. And so either way, we are, we are stuck moving somewhere. When God brings a couple that wants to invest in the kingdom and buy a building for you downtown, and the owners of the building are believers and say a church is going to be in there, so they go way below asking price, you step in faithfulness to that. You move in obedience to that. And when God says, okay, it's going to take a journey, it's going to take a sacrifice on your part, you don't shy away from that. We don't let fear take away what God's given us in faith. We move in faith. If you believe in this church, that means you believe in the mission of this church, not what this church is doing for its name. Like I said, we'll have another church that has a different name soon enough. So it's not about the name of the church or how the style we do it or the distinctives. It's about the mission of God. And our mission of God is, has been the same since the very, very beginning. Love God, love others. Matthew chapter 22. We spent two and a half years in Matthew, so I thought I'd go ahead and go back to it. Matthew chapter 22 is, is the basis of where this question comes from. If you've been to our intro to Rev, or what we call now our basics class, which is how you become an owner at the church, you've heard this stuff. But basically, we started this church with the name of Revolution. And the whole idea behind Revolution wasn't to be hipster or cool or downtown church. We didn't even know downtown church was a cool thing seven years ago. I'm a nerd through and through, okay? So that's just the truth. But I really believed wholeheartedly, if you look at the definition of a revolution, it's a revolt, an uprising against a governing force. Jesus began that. When he, when he took on flesh, he began that revolution. He turned everything right side up. And now we just partake in him. No one will ever usurp his authority. No one will ever revolt. They can fight as long as they want, but his authority will always remain. And so we just take part in the revolution he already began, and we look forward to the day that he re-revolutionizes his revolution when he comes again. And that's why we have the name Revolution. 22 is out of Matthew 22, which is the scripture we are. We believe that we take part in the revolution by loving God and loving others. That's where this comes from. And so real quickly, I want to dig into this scripture because I feel like such a time as this, there's no better time to think about why we're doing what we're doing. Building or no building, this will never, ever change for us. Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40 is where we are. This is right after the, Jesus is getting tested by the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and they keep coming and trying to trip, trip him up in something to, to get him in trouble. And this is the last of the three questions. This is the most difficult question because it's putting Jesus seemingly between the law of Moses and, and the people today. And so it's asking, what's the greatest commandment? What is the greatest commandment is the test? And they think they're going to trap Jesus in this. Jesus, obviously being exceptionally smarter than anyone else, doesn't get trapped in this. 
He says in verse 37, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The gospel of Mark and Luke add with all your strength. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, Jesus comes into the scripture and says, look, this is, this is what it means to be the greatest commandment. And he gives them two. He, he doesn't follow their rules, but he ties them together in such a profound and beautiful way that you can't undo one without undoing both. And so that's what he does. And so I want to real quickly talk about this. First off, in this scripture, Jesus commands love. That seems really weird. If you've been married, you know that it's not probably great to command love of your spouse. You just need to love me right now. Like that never really works out like you think it might in your head. Okay, it's just impractical. But here he's saying, you shall love. Now, this is a, this is a quote. This is a quote from the, the Old Testament law. Every single Jewish person in this day knew what he was quoting, knew what he was doing. He was going to the law. He was speaking what they understood. But he's saying, you shall, you command. And so God commands our love. And he doesn't just command it as a general. He commands on how we are to love him. And that's where he goes into it. Well, that got me thinking, how does God have the right, or what, what makes God command love and it actually be okay? Because I've been married for a little while now, and I still can't command my wife to love me. I just don't know, like, I don't feel right about it. So how come he does it? Well, I think if we were going to go about it, who in the world knows you the best? Some of you would say your spouse. Some of you would say your kids. Some of you would say your parents. Man, we've been married for for 40 years. They know me the best. My bet is, and I'm just going to go on a limb on this. Some of you can test me on this. It's fine. My bet is that your spouse still doesn't know everything about you. Not because you're hiding anything from them, but because your mind is getting old and you forget things about yourself, right? And so you'll say something, and this has happened to me and my wife all the time. I'm like, oh yeah, this is what I did. And she's like, wait, you never told me that. I'm like, I didn't. I mean, I assumed I did. So let's just, let's just base it. Let's, let's call it 1%. There's 1% of you that your spouse doesn't know about you. Not intentional, not hidden. If it is intentional, we got a whole different problem. Please come talk to me. Let's work through that, okay? But the, but the assumption of the basis would be that no one knows you perfectly, but there is someone that knows you perfectly. It's God. And you can wrestle with this all you want, but the scriptures tell us that he knit you together in your mother's womb. There's nothing more intimate, more beautiful, and more vulnerable than recognizing that God hand-knit you together in your mother's womb. That means your nose that you don't like, he did on purpose. He made your body the way it is. If you're too tall, he made you too tall. If you're too short, he made you too short. God did not make a mistake. He didn't go, oh, man, I forgot about Bren. I just throw these things to shelf together. He personally knit me together. So by that basis alone, if we can just land on that for a second and move on for the sake of time, God knows you better than anyone else will ever know you. No matter how hard, no matter how open it and vulnerable and everything you are, he knows the motivations of your heart. He knows what you're doing before you even do it. He knows how you're going to do it. He knows why you're doing it. He knows your struggles. And in all of that, in all of the ugliness and all the struggles and all the battles, he still says, I love you. And in case you were wondering how much I love you, let me send my son, Jesus Christ, to die for you just to show my love for you. So God commands us to love. And I think just because of God's sovereignty, his, his power, his, his ability to be everywhere at one point, his, his all-knowingness, he has every right to command of me love. But because he's shown me the love he has through Christ, I have every desire to want to love him. Not in some obligatory, shameful, like, well, he did this. I guess he's kind of pot committed. I guess I should try it now too. No, this is, this, is a, this is a profound and beautiful opportunity to love him. So just on the basis of God knowing you better than anyone else and the basis of him commanding love, I think he has every right to. You aren't breathing without him holding you together. You aren't living without him saying you're going to live. There isn't a bird that falls from the sky that he's not aware of. Do you think he's perplexed by you? God knows you intimately. So he commands love of us. Now, why does he do that? 
First off, what does it take to love God? And maybe this will answer it for us. First John 5, 3 says, for this is the love of God. Well, now pay attention. John's telling us how to love God. Ready? It says, this is it, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. I almost always feel like it's a Jedi mind trick. They're not burdensome. You know, like he's trying to like trick us into that, right? There's this, there's this understanding that John has in, the first, in first John here that recognizing that for us to love God, it means to obey his commands, means to follow the distinctives, the role, the, the, the parameters with which he's set in motion for us to live inside of. Now, again, this still doesn't answer why does God command us to love him? Well, if you go to Jesus' words in John 15, he says this. He says, if you keep my commandments, this is Jesus speaking, if you keep my commandments, if you do what I ask of you, if you live in light of my parameters, if you follow the word of God, which I am, I became flesh, I am the word of God. If you keep my commandments, what? You will abide, that word remain. You will remain in my love. Well, now hang on a second. There's a switch here now. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain, abide in his love. Look, Jesus is giving us a model. He says, look, I follow what the Father has asked of me, and look what happens. I get to remain in his love. I get to be close. I'm held in his bosom. I'm close and intimate. This isn't some distant, like, hey, I love you, like we kind of mess up love. This is a different kind of love. This isn't I love you like a, I love a hamburger. This is a love that is, that is beyond all those things. He says, if you love me, if you obey my commands, you remain in me, you remain in my love. And then he goes on. He says, abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. Now here's Jesus, is just brilliant. He's giving you a reason why he's telling you to keep these commandments, as if we don't need another reason. Here's why. You ready? That my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. That last sentence is better to say, that your joy may be overflowing. Now let's go back. How can God command love of us? He's created us. He knows exactly how we work. Well, the very things that you and I get ourselves in trouble with is looking for joy. We get in trouble looking for satisfaction in anything but the Lord. And the God who created, who knit you together, who put the hairs exactly where, knew when they'd gray or when they'd fall off your head. This God says, I know how to make your joy overflowing. Remain in me. Abide in my commandments. Do what I've asked of you. And so then, let's go back to the commandments. What are the, the sum of all commandments? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus commands love of us. He commands us to love God. God commands us to love him because he has every right to and because he knows that in doing so, that when we love him, when we follow his commands, when we submit ourselves to his word, that we will actually have a true joy, not some cheap happiness that this world promises that just goes away, but our joy will be overflowing. And I don't know about you, but when I hear about a joy that's overflowing, despite my own selfish pride at times, I can't help but think I want more of that and less of what I try to go after. There's lots of great common graces of God that will bring joy or satisfaction in this world, but it's all fleeting if it's lost sight of the commandments here. Love the Lord your God. Now he says with four different things. We're gonna just cover them real quickly. He says the heart. Normally in the New Testament, when you come to the word heart, it usually means the center of all things, the center of the being and everything. It would be a bit repetitive to have it mean that here, so I think, I mean, it could work that way, but I also think this is more of a true-heartedness or an uprightness. So what he's saying here, when he says, love the Lord with all your heart, he's saying to love him with all your heart is to fix our affections completely on him, more strongly than anyone else or anything else, and to be willing to give up all that we hold dear at his command, all that we hold dear. Now, let's think about that. Loving God with all your heart means that you're gonna fix your affections on him. Well, how, how are we doing on that, church? I don't know about you, but I feel like my affections can get pretty distracted at times. I feel like I can find myself looking to other things in this world. Why? Because I've lost sight of where my joy really comes from. 
I've lost sight of what, what is truly going to happen in my life if I give myself to the Lord. I've maybe stepped into fear where I've not trusted the Lord. I've lacked faith in following through with what he's asked of me. Am I willing to give up everything I hold dear? Would you be willing to give up your child? Would you be willing to give up your marriage? Some of you don't answer that, okay? If you're willing to give up your marriage for the wrong reasons, come see me afterwards, okay? Would you be willing to give up your time, your finances? What do you hold dear? Do you hold dear your security? I want to have this much dollars for the last 20 years of my life. Is that what you hold dear? God wants all of our affections. To love him, he says you must love him with all your heart. Just in case you're wondering the word all, I did a word study, it means all, everything. And he doesn't want some of you. He wants all of you. Jesus is very clear at this. To follow me, you must take up your cross and die daily. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. And let me be really clear. He wants all of you, even if it doesn't make sense to the all of you that you want it to be. He wants all of you in a situation that may make no sense to you. But God, I seem gifted this way. I've, I've been used this way. He said, no, no, I want all of you, and I don't care about that because I have something else I want to do for you because it's not about you, it's about me. It's about my glory and what I'm doing in this world to make me known for the brothers and sisters that haven't been brought into the kingdom yet. Then he goes on and says, soul, well, this is all of your life. Will you give yourself to him? Now, this is an interesting one because most of us don't really deal with a deny Christ or die, but there are lots of brothers and sisters, unfortunately, around this world that are actually in that situation right now where this, this idea of loving God with all your soul is, is in play right now for them as they hide in underground tunnels to try and pray together, as they, they scavenge the one or two pages of the scripture they have to memorize and to try and understand more of the God they love. This is a real fact for a lot of people. Now, most of us, we'd say, well, I mean, I think I'd die for Christ. Well, the cliche statement, would you live for him? Does right? your life show that you live for him today? Because it, it's kind of a, a foolish statement to say, I'll die for Christ if you're not really willing to live for him while you're here. Maybe for us, this is better thought of as our identities or our reputation. Are you willing to forsake your identity, your reputation for the Lord's identity? Are you willing to lose everything that you have for him? This is what it means to love God with all of your soul. This means that you, you, you've, you are willing to forsake it all. Not only are your affections fixed on him, but you know your life is his. There's nothing else that matters. Then he goes on and says his mind. This is, this is the idea that consumes all our thoughts. Now, I, I will admit that I have a hard time with this one. This one's hard for me because my thoughts can get wrapped up on so many different things. But what he's saying here is literally, it's to think clearly and truthfully about him. Not just giving our thoughts to him, but literally taking every single thought captive like 2 Corinthians tells us to do so. This is a way that our minds are fixated on him. That everything we're thinking about is, is how can I think about the word of God coming out in this? How can this situation or scenario make Jesus Christ more amazing in, the, in my life or, or bring more glory to him? Fixating your minds. To love God with all your mind is literally to give every single thought to him. Now that's a scary part because some of what we think is very, very, very dark. Some of what we say is very dark and both those things start in our heart. Both those things come from the heart. And so the Lord is, is commanding us to love him with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. And then the Gospel of Luke adds strength, which isn't, a, isn't an addition to the original. This was actually present in the Old Testament law as well, but they just went at it this way. And strength is literally all of our energy. Sounds exhausting, doesn't it? Some of you, you, like some of you young parents, like, I don't have any energy. No, literally, to love the Lord with all our strength is to fervently give of every single thing to him, your energy, your strength, exerting all powers of your body in the service of God, sparing no labor or cost, sacrificing our time, body, health, ease for the honor of God. All our services, talents, power, credit, authority, and influence is all given to love the Lord. This is what it means to love God. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's not saying, hey, like him a little. 
hey, spend some time around him a little bit. This is what he's saying. And here's the most brilliant part. We don't have time to go into this, otherwise I'll be an hour long. But we've been talking about this a lot through Hebrews. Here's the most brilliant part. We don't have to do it on our own. In fact, we're not even expected to do it on our own. In fact, let me go one step further. Jesus says, you're not going to do it on your own. Without me, it's impossible for you to do it on your own. And he says it's better that he sends his spirit to come and do this through us and for us. So Galatians talks about the fruit of the spirit. The Holy Spirit is what enables us, empowers us, and leads us to follow the word of God in submission to loving him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So really what it comes down to at the end of the day, guys, you ready for this? Submission. Submission. You want to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Die to yourself. Submit yourself to him entirely. Give yourself to him entirely. Stop holding back. He doesn't say all of your heart, all of your mind, some of your strength, and a little bit of your soul. It's all. It's an all-inclusive thing. All or none. Die to yourself. Let the Spirit work in you. You know what that means? That means you'll make decisions that don't make sense to this world. That means that there will be people that you're close to will hate you because of this. That means that you will feel persecution. That means that you will wrestle through struggles. You know what else it means? Even if you do submit perfectly to the Spirit to do this, and you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you know what that still means? You're still going to have trials. You're still going to be tempted. He's not trying to do a bait and switch. He's very clear. This is what it means to love the Lord. You want to experience joy, and I mean a true joy, a joy that transcends every emotion we have in this world, remain with the Lord. You want to experience joy that seems so fleeting, and and even when you think about the word joy, it's like it never lasts. It's just a matter of time. Not with the Lord. He's everlasting. And then he goes on. Jesus says in Luke 10, a parable of the Good Samaritan. You heard the story. He just says this. Basically, someone says, how do I inherit eternal life is what he says. And Jesus goes, you must love the Lord God all your heart. Serve him. He just goes through the list. And the guy's like, well, I've done all these things. He's like, great. He's like, what else must I do? Obviously, the lawyer, the person that's asking this question, realizes there's a loss. I'm, I'm missing something. Even though I've done these things perfectly, the letter of the law, I followed these things like you said, how come I still feel like I'm missing something? And Jesus says, you must sell everything. You must give up everything for the sake of your neighbor. And he's like, well, okay, well, who's my neighbor? So then Jesus goes in the Good Samaritan story, talks about his neighbor, walks through that whole story, right? The Good Samaritan, the person that is a piece of dung culturally is the one that does what God wants from us in the story. And says, this is the person, this is what's expected. This is what it means to love your neighbor. It's incredible. I encourage you to go read it. It's one of the most hypocritical things that you and I could ever do is say that we love God and hate someone. I'm gonna say that again. One of the most hypocritical things you and I could ever do is say that we love God with our wholesome mind and strength and we hate someone. We try to master, I don't really say hate, I just really dislike them. We try to hide behind that. But the scriptures are really clear. We are to love our neighbor. You know, the whole go two miles was a centurion soldier. It was a slavery thing and he was expected to go further if you asked him for one. Like Jesus was very countercultural to what it means to be generous with people. These are people that didn't deserve any kind of generosity and yet Jesus says, yeah, turn your other cheek, go another mile. Do more for them. Why? Because that's what, that's what the character of God looks like in us. You can't say it. In fact, 1 John gets us in really trouble and says, anyone who says they love the Lord and hates, the, hates someone is a liar. That's what Jesus starts with when he says, as yourself. Have you ever thought about this? This isn't a, this good Samaritan of loving it yourself isn't some kind of self-love. When I love myself enough, then I can love someone else. No, he's basing that statement based on the, the way that you would preserve yourself. You desire food, so you'll feed yourself. You're thirsty, you'll give yourself water. You need shelter, you'll look for shelter. That's what he's talking about as yourself. It's not a, hey, you need to love yourself more so you can love someone else. It's a, hey, you already have a self-preservation that's in you, and that's a good thing. And you want to have clothes, and you want to take care of yourself, and you want to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that, except for when that stuff takes precedence of helping someone else, even a stranger, to get the needs they have. 
fact, Jesus goes on and says, whatever you've done in the least of these, you've done to me. Jesus is clear, 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 clear through the scriptures. Loving your neighbor as yourself is not just a nice idea to do once in a while when we close down services. It is a daily command for us to be the light and salt in this world. And this is what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what's expected of us. This is kind of the first test. This isn't even the, hey, this is something you work towards. This is what we submit ourselves to. How can we love God more? How can we submit ourselves more to the Spirit's work? How can we give ourselves to this? That's what this is about, guys. And that's what we're gonna be about forever. I'm gonna keep coming back to Matthew despite the fact that we spent two and a half years in it. And I'm gonna keep saying this because we can't lose sight of this. And some of you right now, I'll be honest, some of you right now, you've lost sight of that. You realize right now, it's like, man, there isn't even one of those things that you're close to. And, and some of you are too hard on yourselves because you believe you have to do it on your own strength. We've got to go back to the Spirit of God. He's the one that does it. But some of you, you can genuinely look yourself in the eyes in the mirror and go, I am, I am playing the part. There is no way. None of my affections are fixated on God. None of my mind is fixated on God. Well, then let's, let's repent. Submit to the Lord. It's not like he's going to go look at you with shame and be like, well, sooner or later when you figure it out, you can come back to me. It's not. It's still by faith. You're justified alone. Submit yourself to the Lord. Confess, repent, turn from that. If there's something in your way, then get rid of it. If you have more security in your relationships that aren't healthy for you, then, then get rid of them. If you have more security in your savings, your finances, then get rid of it. Guys, none of these things hold any value to the kingdom of God. Jesus tells a, a parable, right? The man finds a hidden treasure, sees the kingdom of God, it's like a treasure. He sells everything he has because he shows, throws off. That's not what's expected of us, but that's what is expected of us. Let me say this. You're not supposed to sell everything all the time. Maybe that's unless the Lord's telling you to. But everything should be holding a very, very simple let go of it at any moment, at any cost, because this is way more valuable than anything I hold. This is a faith journey. This has to stay central as we move forward, especially when we think about loving our neighbor, the question you can be asking is, am I desiring and seeking the temporal and eternal good of my neighbor with the same zeal, ingenuity, and perseverance that I seek my own? This has to stay central. As we raise money, guys, as we look at doing a building, if we, don't, if we lose sight of this, man, what are we doing? If you've been going through the motions and you've lost sight of this already, what are, what are you doing? Playing church isn't, isn't going to win or benefit anything. He wants a full submission. So let's throw the goal slide up there again real quick, Caitlin, the very first one. So this is our goal. And you now know why we're doing it, and you know what it's going to take. I want to tell you some really good news. So we need to raise three hundred dollars to $350,000. Um, we are actually wanting to have $200,000 on hand to move forward. So that means that we need to get $200,000 pretty much by the 1st of October to move forward. The good news in that is we already have $30,000 in savings. Two years ago, I went to the owners of the church and said, hey, if we have a summer like we did last year, we're closing doors. Two years ago in April, I remember that. I went to the meeting. I said, guys, we can't make it through the summer. We can't. We can't. We're going to we're gonna have to cut staff. I'm going to have to go off staff. We're going to have to figure it out. Like, we are scraping by. Some of you are doing the math. Like, wait, you've been at church for seven years? Yeah, that was the first five years of existence, okay, guys? So it took a lot of faith for us, right? That's how we've operated. Two years ago is when we did that. The owners stepped up, led in their gospel communities, and we started accruing savings from that point on. The great news is we have more than $30,000 in savings, but we have $30,000 in savings towards facilities. So we already have $30,000 of the 200 we need up front, which is incredible. The second part is when we started this church, I said, I will not do this alone. I will not do this alone. And so I pursued a bunch of other pastors and friends that I already had relationships with and said, can we please do this together? And so over the last few weeks, I have met with these churches and I said, hey, do you believe in us enough to actually put some money and help us stay downtown? 
Would you put some money? Would you be willing to do that if, if you're willing? And, and, and these churches right here, so let's throw that slide up there. All these churches gave us money to the tune of $8,500 right now. And we have four other churches that have committed to us but couldn't get us numbers, so we'll share those afterwards. But all these churches said, we believe in you enough. Here's this money. And all that added up to $8,500. So we already almost have $40,000 of the 200 we needed already. It just seems like God is moving forward in each step. Now, this is going to take every single one of us to sacrifice. No one is exempt. This is why I said, why are you here at this church? This is why I said, if this is your church, if this isn't your church, you're just visiting, I'm really sorry that this is the first day in. I'm also really excited that you could possibly be a part of that, but there is no expectation for you to do anything in this. Please don't feel like you have to, unless the Lord is commanding you to do that. If you are part of this church, if this is your home church and you've been coming for a long time, there's expectation of you. This is, this is, this is your body that you've gathered in. If it's not here, find somewhere else, but they're gonna expect it of you as well. And so because of those two things, we have all those in place, which is fantastic. We're going to have you do two things. We're going to have you fill out two things. You've got one of these on the way in, white card right here, has two questions on it. Why do you believe that God has you here at Rev? And while attending Rev 22, what has God done in and through you in your life and the lives of others? We want these two things very selfish. Here's why I want these. This isn't like, a, hey, find something else to buy your time with. I want these because I think what will happen is if we aren't careful and all we have to update you on is numbers, we might make it seem like that's the goal, and that's never the goal. And for my heart and for the leadership's heart, I can't tell you how excited I am to just see what this is. What has God done? Or why do you believe that God has you? Or some of you are like, well, I was going to write worship. Okay, um, check that out. It's fine. If that's where it is, let's, let's move forward from that, okay? Let's find out why you believe God has you here, what you're going to be, what he's trying to do for you. And the other one I'm most excited about is to see what God's done through you. Like, what has he done in you? What has he been doing? Where's, it, where's he working in your heart? These are, the, these are the things that matter most to us. If we don't get the numbers, we're just not going to move forward in that. We'll have to find another thing. That's just how it works. But these are what matter most to us. So I want you to take some time to fill those out. The second thing is is a card that ushers are going to come pass this out. You're going to get this thing right here, and it tears in half. The top half is for you. The bottom half is for you. And we have on here two ways for you to commit. We're asking you to commit to a one-time gift and or a monthly gift for the next three years. Your one-time gift needs to come in before the end of September, preferably, as well as this commitment card. If some of you are like, man, I haven't prayed about this yet, even though we've been talking about it, you're just finally hearing about it, you weren't maybe diligent in your prayer life, please don't turn this in today. If you haven't prayed about this, be, be wise. Submit yourself to the Lord. Let him speak to you. Turn this in prayerfully. Don't just throw it in. And some of you are like, well, I wasn't gonna pray because I'm not doing anything. Check your heart in that, please. Like, check your heart. If that's where you're at, you're like, I don't have anything. You know what, like, God doesn't care about the amount, the amount. He cares about your heart. And so don't turn this in, but we need you to turn this in either today or by the end of September 30th for the one time. And then your monthly three-year commitments would be starting October. So October, three years from October. So let's put that slide up, Caitlin. Sorry, the one with all the giving numbers, the 150. We need 150,000. Now, I know math. We only have about, we're a little under 40,000. So that doesn't equal 200,000, but we need 150,000. This is how we get there. This is just a simple mathematic equation. It actually gets $10,000 shy, but either way, if you were like, man, I was gonna give $75, I guess I can't give. That's okay if it's not up here, guys. This isn't how you have to do it. You can do it any way you want. But this is how we see us getting there, is if, this, if these numbers happen, we'll get that $200,000 in hand, we can move forward, which means we close on the building on November, for, first week of November. We will move our office space in there. We will shoot for a timeline of starting tenant improvements in January, and they say two to three months to get those done. So our goal would be to be in there before Easter. So that's, that's the goal. If we don't get the $200,000 in hand, we have to move that forward. The other thing that we have to be really aware of is if we get really, really short of this, we have some time that the investors have given us grace period of no rent, which is fantastic. 
that window will close. So I really don't want to be paying on that building that isn't done and paying on this space at the same time. So that's kind of why our timeline's like this. Now, I know that this is a lot of money in a short amount of time. And we as leadership decided we weren't going to go all gung-ho and put a huge campaign together. And we're not going to talk about this every single week. We will remind you for the next few weeks. When something comes up, we'll share that. But it will not be the premise of the sermons. We're going to be back in the Word of God and staying in the Word of God through this whole process, trusting that the faithful obedience of you to the Lord and your surrender will be enough for us to get there. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He can do this. He I believe he can do this. And this isn't a us as the staff and leadership stepping out on a faith. This isn't us, all of us, getting on the cliff together. We're not going to jump if you're not going to jump with us. It's kind of pointless. So we're asking you guys to, to step out in faith. We're asking you guys to do that, to step out in faith and commit yourself to this. A couple things and ways you can do this. When, we, when we're going to break here, we have a slideshow we're going to show you in just a second of kind of just the history of Rev from 2011. Uh, it's really cool. John put it together. I've really enjoyed it. You'll see a lot of pictures of a lot of things. It's not all the pictures. We had tons more. But during this time, we're going to ask you to talk with your spouse if you've talked about it, if you've already come prepared to do so, to write down your commitments. And then when the offering, after we worship again, when the offering bucket, you can put this in there with your offering. All of these numbers we're asking of you, by the way, just want to be really clear, we're hoping it would be over and above your regular giving. If you're just like, oh, I'll just move my regular giving over this way, that's going to hurt us. Okay, that's not, I mean, great, we have a building, but we can't do anything else with it. So, like, let's not, let's not do that either. It's meant to be over and above. You need to put in the memo line of the check, or you can give online. We have it. Deeper Roots is what's going to be in there. And from here moving forward, you would just put it in the offering whenever you want to. Just say, this is Deeper Roots money. This is where it goes. A couple things I want to remind us of. Jesus says in Matthew 5, let your yes be yes and your no be no. So I really don't want you to commit to something that you can't commit to today. I want you to be able to commit to something where you can be obedient to God's word and let this be your yes. And so if you're committing to something, submit yourself to that. Like, let it be the Lord's leading and do so. If you can't do it, don't do it. That's silly, but commit to it. There are ways to give. Again, this is for those of you that are in the church, that this is their home. This is not for those that aren't. Your monthly commitment over and above, our regular giving, a one-time donation over and above your regular giving. And then there's a lot of ways we can get creative, so I'm going to share a few of those. This is going to take the creativity. When we did, when we raised money for the, for the house in the Philippines, it was really funny. Like, we had, like, spaghetti feeds and yards. I mean, people were super creative to raise monies. I commission you, go, be creative, have fun, okay? Like, enjoy it. This takes every single person stepping out in faith. So if you're here and you're still trying, like, I think I don't have to, like, no, you have to. If this is your community, it takes all of us doing this because there's not one person that's going to carry this. So here's a couple ways you can give. We found out that we can receive long-term appreciated stocks gifts. So if you have a long-term appreciated stock, we can actually receive that and you can get the tax benefits from that as well. If that's something you're interested in, just reach out to us. The other one is savings. I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Like, savings is a very good thing. Retirement's a very good thing. I'm not saying you can't do that. I think too many of us put our hope and our peace in that. We, we have a security in that. We think, that, yep, as long as I have this, I got my blanket. And I think because of that, even though it's wise to have savings, I'm not saying not to, I think because of that, we, we don't trust the Lord as much. And so some of you, I want to just say this again. This is not it. Some of your savings accounts, the Lord has had you save for a rainy day, and he actually wants you to save for this rainy day. Maybe this is what it was for, not for your own use. Not all of it, not, not again, you don't have to tell anyone. I'm not asking that. I'm just, these are ways that I believe that we can get there. You can cut monthly expenses. Uh, the way that, that Jen and I, as we wrestled this, we, we kind of said this to ourselves, was put more money into the kingdom and eternal rewards and comforts for ourselves. Some of you have sizable purchases that you've been thinking. Rethink it. Are there ways you can do it less expensive? Uh, downsize Christmas, just so you know, I would encourage you to downsize Christmas anyways because we are still going to do our giving tree. 
and we have lots of amazing ways to give to families in need around that time. Don't have as expensive of a vacation this year. Go on vacation, but maybe figure out ways to do it less expensive. Eat out less. There's all kinds of ways to sacrifice. College students, I'm going to pick on you for a second, okay? You're not exempt. You have the most disposable income you'll ever have in your life. Every single person that's not in college goes, amen, right? Because they see that. Even if that dollar amount is really small and you figure out how to make it work on ramen noodles most of the time, okay? You're not exempt from this. I want to say this, and I want to say this very carefully. As a parent that has children that aren't in college, if you are here, and this is your church before, when you're at home or not home, I still think this is for you guys to be a part of, right? You're not, you're not exempt from this because we're, we're, we're pouring into you, we're discipling, we want you to be a part of this community, we ask you to serve, we ask you to be owners, we don't treat you any differently, we want to send you well, even if you mean you're only here for the four years during the school year and back home on the summers, like I think this is a part of it for you. Also in that, I want to say this, some of you as a parent, if, if my kids were going to school out of state and they fell in love with God through a church, maybe you ask your parents. Maybe you say, hey parents, like would you be willing to give this? Now, don't, please don't let them take from something they're giving at home, at their home churches. That's not what I'm asking. Please don't do that. That's not the expectation. But there's no shame in you saying, hey, mom, dad, like I only have so much. I'm committing this much. Would you be willing to help this too? Because I think this is a good thing. There's no shame in that. And then some of you, I'm just going to say this. You just need to actually start regular giving. You just haven't done it. You've not made it a discipline. You've not been faithful in that. And like you need to just start regularly giving. You're like, I can't even begin with this whole deeper roots idea. Maybe just make a commitment to start regularly giving. Here's the interesting thing. Jesus says this very clearly. And Mike, one of our elders, taught this a long time ago when we were in Matthew. He says, when he goes into it, he says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve both money and God. One, you will be a slave to one and you, and you, and you, will, you will be faithful to the other. You cannot serve both. And then right before that, you know what he says? He says, for where your treasure is, Jesus' words, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And what's unique about that, and this was the point that Mike made many years ago, it just stuck with me. He said, so often most of us are like, God, change my heart, change my heart, change my heart, and then I'll give. And he said, no, put your money there and I watch your heart change. Let the treasure be there and watch your heart change for it. And so some of you, this is a treasure thing. Your treasures are too much in this world and you need to put your treasures in kingdom purposes. And I, for one, can say that this building isn't a kingdom purpose, but what God is going to do in and through it is. And so I would encourage you to give that way. I want to be vulnerable and honest. I think this is sacrificial. Jen and I struggled, probably me more than her in all honesty. Actually, she was a little bit more faithful than me. But I was in this process going, well, can we lower it a little bit monthly of our commitment? Like, what if we did this? Or what, 15 bucks, 10 bucks, it really make a difference? And, and Jen looked at me, she's like, Bren, what is that 10 or 15 bucks really going to do for us? Like, what is it really going to do for us? Why, why, are we, why are we trying to lower that down? Why don't we, we both felt like the Lord, this is what he commanded of us. We've, we've, never, we've never liked that, but we've always submitted ourselves to that. But why would we give less? And so I, my, my thought is some of you maybe didn't pray big enough in this. You thought, well, I'll give, but I, you know, I'll give this because it's comfortable and I can really manage this. I would, I would encourage you to pray about sacrificing. I'm gonna leave you with two scriptures. And then we're going to take an offering in a second, but I want to give you guys time to watch the slideshow, pray, have any conversations you need to have. If your kids are in here, you can have this conversation with your kids. I would encourage you to lead them in that way as well. Two scriptures. First one is 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 8. Apostle Paul says, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now listen, I, I understand that when you make a commitment, you're going to struggle. I understand that. It's going to be hard. Every time you doubt, 
that you can live on less of your income, every time you doubt, I hope this will encourage you. Let the glorious promise of God from Philippians 4.19 strengthen your faith. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. We pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the ability to serve you. We thank you for the ability to love you. Father, we thank you for the ability to even have money because that's a gift. Um, God, forgive us for believing that the treasures that we have are ours and not yours. Forgive us for using them too much on ourselves and not for your kingdom purposes. God, for the individuals that are in here today that are like, man, I don't even believe in this necessarily, but I, I like coming here and now I'm worried. Like, would you just rest their heart? They're here for a reason. You're after them. Would you give them a, a desire to know you? Would you open their hearts to your spirit? Would you do a mighty work in them? Would they proclaim you, your God, as Lord of their lives? God, we thank you for uh, this community. We thank you for all the ways you've been so faithful to us over the years. God, I thank you for the work that's happened in so many people's lives, including my own, through this process. And I just pray for more. I pray for more brothers and sisters, a part of your kingdom that aren't here yet. I pray for, for more um, faithful obedience in all ways, not just treasures. But God, may we be uh, baffled and amazed like you've already done so far. You just continue to make no sense. You got us a building in a market that's blowing up for $250,000 less than it's worth. That makes no sense, God. You have a couple that says, hey, I want to just invest in the kingdom, so how can I help you guys get a church? Like, this just makes no sense. And we just ask for more of that. We have seen you faithfully answer so many prayers this year. We have seen people have babies when they were trying and they couldn't. We've seen you heal people that couldn't be healed. We've seen gospel communities grow intimately and multiply. We've seen so many things where you just continue to do it. Even back in November, a year ago, when we were praying, God, give us a facility. We had no idea that this was the year that you would actually do that. And God, you're doing it. So we thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness. I pray, God, that as we step out in faith and obedience and sacrifice, God, with the promises of Malachi, say, where we can test you, where we can see it, God, I pray that people give sacrificially, not expecting that you'll give more money, but expecting that their hearts will be more joyful in you. God, we love you. We thank you for this time. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.